With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I have three parts for you today. In part one, we'll review our Primavera match against Sampdoria on Wednesday. In part two, we'll review another Primavera match against Juventus on Saturday. And in part three, we'll preview our match against Cagliari on Monday. Now, hopefully you get to listen to this before the match. Unfortunately, I didn't have too much time to publish this one ahead of the match. So let's start with the Primavera's midweek fixture against Sampdoria. Sampdoria came into this match sitting in fourth in the table, tied with Inter on 29 points. The reigning champions have had a fantastic start to the calendar year. They beat Lecce 3-2 away from home, then they beat Fiorentina 4-1 in Genoa. They followed that result up with a massive win over direct rivals Inter 3-2 in Milano. Finally, they picked up only their second draw of the season against Spal. That one finished 2-2, which was still a positive result considering that Spal were up 2-0 with about half an hour left to play. Lorenzo Di Stefano scored a 95th minute equalizer to snatch a point from that match. If you include their win against Hellas Verona right before the winter break, Sampdoria were undefeated in their previous five matches coming into this one, and four of those matches were victories. Meanwhile, Napoli seemed to be heading in the opposite direction. After consecutive wins to start the calendar year, we suffered consecutive defeats at the hands of Hellas Verona and Bologna. I'm sure Nicola Frustalupi had this match circled on the calendar. The 6-1 defeat in the first meeting was our most lopsided result all season. Frustalupi had a full squad for this match, other than Gennaro Iaccarino, everyone was available. That was very useful because this was the second of three matches for the Azzurini in a week. As you might recall, the Primavera did not play for the entire month of January due to COVID, 
So now they are trying to catch up in the calendar. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Sampdoria lined up in a 3-5-2 formation with Ivan Sayo in goal. Francesco Miliardi, Giovanni Bonfanti, and Flavio Pauletti played as the back three. Marco Soma started at left wing back and Lorenzo Malagrida started at right wing back. Simone Pozzato played in the center of the midfield with Gerard Yepes to his left and Alfonso Seppe to his right. Finally, Daniele Montevago and Lorenzo Di Stefano played as the two strikers. For Napoli, Frustalupi made five changes to the squad that he fielded at the weekend against Bologna. He went back to the 3-4-2-1 formation but started Valerio Boffelli in goal over Hubert Idasiak. Idasiak was training with the senior team for the Europa League match against Barcelona. Davide Costanzo, Benedetto Barba, and Musamani played as the back three. Davide Acampa started over Antonio Vergara in the center of the midfield alongside Coli Sacco. Frustalupi changed both of his wingers as well. Duccio Toccafondi started over Enrico Giannini on the left, and Domenico Di Dona started over Matteo Marchisano on the right. With the four-man midfield, Frustalupi was able to play Antonio Trofi, Giuseppe D'Agostino, and Giuseppe Ambrosino in a front three. Trofi and D'Agostino played as the two trequartisti in behind Ambrosino, who finally got a start. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. The match really couldn't have started any worse. The first few minutes were a bit slow, but only eight minutes into the match, Sampdoria jumped out in front. Bonfanti played a long ball forward to Di Stefano. He tried to flick the ball on, but didn't appear to make contact. Perhaps Barba thought that he would make contact because he seemed a little surprised on the play and the ball bounced into the area. Montevago got to the ball first and he touched it past a helpless Bofelli to put Sampdoria ahead. Sampdoria came close to doubling their lead about 7 minutes later. Pozzato dispossessed Trophy just inside the Napoli half. Yepes picked up the loose ball and played it to Di Stefano who touched the ball down the line to Malagrida. He crossed the ball into the area. Now Montevago went for the flick at the near post and like on the goal it's not clear if he made contact but Sani seemed to expect him to. As a result the ball rolled through to Yepes who continued his run into the area. He hit the ball first time and had it not been for a great intervention by Bofelli that shot would have found the bottom corner. Sampdoria dominated in the first half. In the 16th minute, Tocafondi was dispossessed by Seppe at midfield. I thought there was a foul on the play, but it wasn't given. Instead, Di Stefano carried the ball the length of the field and went for goal from the edge of the area, but his shot finished well over the bar. Sampdoria came close again only three minutes later. Pozzato played a diagonal ball to Di Stefano in the area. He took one touch to control the ball with his left, then quickly fired with his right, but once again Bofelli made a fantastic save. So Sampdoria dominated the first half and Napoli were rather fortunate to go into the break down by only a goal. I don't know what Frustalupi said during the break, but Napoli looked far more dangerous at the start of the second half. Five minutes after the restart, Ambrosino played a lovely backheel flick to Trophy and he won a free kick in a dangerous area. Trophy took it himself and didn't miss by much, but I suspect if he hit the target, Sayo would have made the save. A couple minutes later, Sacco won another free kick, this time on the right side of the midfield. Trophy took the free kick again, but this time he played an in-swinging cross into the area. Ambrosino got to the ball first and made good contact with his header, but it was straight at Sayo who made the easy catch. Trophy had another chance around the hour mark, cutting in from the left side. However, he tried shooting while running away from the goal, and in the end, the ball finished well over the bar. But the Azzurini continued to push and in the 64th minute they were rewarded for their efforts. Manet pressed high and did well to win the ball back. Then he carried the ball down the line on the right wing before playing a long cross to the second post. 
the ball was perfectly placed for Trophy to head in the equalizer. That was Trophy's fifth goal of the season and his fourth in our last six matches, so he continues to have a fantastic season. Unfortunately, as if with the flick of a switch, Sampdoria went right back to controlling the match. In the 69th minute, Soma crossed the ball into the area. I don't know what Costanzo was trying to do, but it looked like a pretty lazy attempt to clear the ball. Fortunately, Mane was there to clear the ball just before Montevago crashed into Bofelli. Thankfully, Bofelli was fine, but this is why I don't include Costanzo on the list of players who I think are ready to make that next step, like Trophy, Vergara, and Ambrosino. He has all the tools to make it as a center back, he just needs to remove the occasional costly mistake from his game. Sampdoria were controlling the run of play, but we did get a chance in the 72nd minute. Substitute Matteo Marchisano won the ball back and simultaneously passed it to D'Agostino in the Sampdoria half. D'Agostino played the return pass to Marchisano, who continued his run down the right wing. Marchisano crossed the ball into the area and it got past Sayo. It was basically the same play as on the goal, except this time no one was there to receive the ball at the second post. Sampdoria came right back the other way, led by Montevago. First, he got a chance in the 79th minute, but his header finished well over the bar. Then a minute later, he crossed the ball from the right side to Bontempi. He beat Bofelli, but not Manet, who was there to clear the danger. Unfortunately for Sampdoria, Bontempi was injured on the play and he had to be removed from the match. Sampdoria continued to push and in the 86th minute, they went back ahead. It was actually quite the goal. Di Stefano played the ball out wide from the top of the box. Soma crossed it back into the area and Leonardi got low to play a gorgeous volley into the bottom corner. That made the score 2-1 for Sampdoria and things went from bad to worse for Napoli after that. In the 90th minute, Frustalupi was shown a red card after he had some choice words for the match official. Frustalupi was not happy with the foul called by the officials against Ambrosino, so we finished the match without our manager. Now, Sampdoria got their own red card about a minute later. Substitute Nicolo Samotti was sent off for pushing Ambrosino after the whistle had gone and completely away from the play. Nevertheless, Sampdoria held on for the 2-1 victory. That was our third consecutive defeat. Meanwhile, Sampdoria's unbeaten run improved to six matches with five victories and only one draw. Despite the loss, we remained 12th in the table, but it was a missed opportunity. The two teams immediately ahead of us both dropped points. Torino lost 1-0 to Milan and Sassuolo managed to draw league leaders Roma, which is a fantastic result for them, but dropped points nonetheless. Meanwhile, Bologna gained ground on us with a 2-0 win over Lecce. Thankfully, Verona drew Spal and Empoli lost to Pescara, so the teams that are chasing us in the battle for survival didn't gain much ground on us. Things were not about to get any easier for the Azzurini though. Next on the schedule was 4th place Juventus, and we'll review that match in part 2. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part 2 of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's review our Primavera match against Juventus on Saturday. As I said at the end of part 1, Juventus came into this match sitting 4th in the table. Unfortunately, we ran into two of the hottest clubs in the Primavera only a few days apart. 
After playing a Sampdoria team who had 4 wins and a draw in their previous 5, we had to play a Juventus team who had only lost 2 of their previous 10 matches. However, they did have 4 draws during that run and their most recent result was a 2-1 defeat at the hands of Atalanta. So we knew this would be a tough match, especially against a bitter rival, but it also had the potential to get us back on track. We had lost 3 consecutive matches and as a result our focus has shifted somewhat. Initially we were focused on qualifying for the championship playoff which we can still do. At that point we were 5 points back of Atalanta, Milan and Fiorentina who were all tied in 5th place on 30 points. But we still had a game in hand so in theory we were only 2 or 3 points back of a playoff spot depending on the results in the head to head matches. But now we've had to shift our focus somewhat because at the same time we are now competing to avoid the relegation playout. Heading into this match we were only 7 points ahead of Lecce and 5 points ahead of Empoli in the two playout positions, again with a game in hand. Just like we had the Sampdoria match circled on our calendar, I'm sure Juventus had this match circled on theirs. The last time we met, Giuseppe Ambrosino scored a 95th minute goal to complete the comeback for Napoli. Unfortunately, we had to play this match without our coach. As I mentioned in part 1, Frustalupi was shown a red card near the end of the Sampdoria match, so he was suspended for this one. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Juventus lined up in a 4-4-2 with 17-year-old goalkeeper Giovanni Dafara in goal. Tariq Muharemovic and Felix Zuango started at centre-back. Jonas Ruhi played at left-back and Nicola Savona played at right-back. Christian Sekularek and Andrea Bonetti played in the center of the midfield. Ricardo Turicchia played on the left side of the midfield and Gabriele Mulazzi played on the right. Finally, Samuel Bangula and Andrea Cetti started as the front two. For Napoli, Giorgio Di Vicino was on the bench in place of Frustalupi. He went back to our usual starting 11, lined up in a 3-5-2 with Huberti Dasek in goal. Daniel Hisai returned to the starting 11 to play over Musa Mane. He played alongside Davide Costanzo and Benedetto Barba in the back three. Enrico Giannini and Matteo Marchisano were back in at left and right wing back respectively. Colisacco started again in the center of the midfield with Alessandro Spavone to his left and Antonio Vergara to his right. And finally Antonio Trofi and Giuseppe D'Agostino started together up top. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. Unfortunately, Juventus absolutely dominated this match. As much as I hate to admit it because it was Juve, this was the most complete performance I've seen from any of our opponents this season. I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of the most complete performances of any Primavera match period. I just haven't watched enough games to say that with any level of certainty. It didn't take long for Juve to open the scoring. They got a bit of a fortunate bounce at midfield after Sacco blocked a pass from Sekularek. But there was nothing lucky about what ensued. Bonetti poked the ball to Turicchia, who played a couple of touches before playing a pass to Mulazzi on the right side of the area. He dribbled to the right of Costanzo before playing a shot cross towards the goal. Somehow the ball got through Barba, Hisai, and Marquisano for Cetti to tap into the empty goal. Napoli's response was positive but short-lived. In the ninth minute, Trophy carried down the left wing before playing the ball back. Giannini crossed towards the back post where Sacco won the header but he couldn't keep it down and that's something he needs to work on. With his size, Sacco wins a lot of headers but he always seems to get under the ball. A big problem for Napoli in this match was our defenders kept on getting dispossessed by the Juve press around midfield. The first instance was in the 13th minute when Marquisano passed the ball back to Barba. He was far too casual on the ball and before he knew it, Bangula closed him down. Fortunately, on this occasion, Hisai was able to bail Barba out with a lovely sliding block. 
The second instance was about midway through the first half. This time, Costanzo gave the ball away at midfield under pressure from Chetty. Costanzo passed the ball straight to Bangula, so Juve had another opportunity to counter. He played the ball wide to Turikia, who joined the attack, but this time Barba came across to block the shot. However, only a few minutes later, Juve doubled their lead, and frankly, they made it look far too easy. Turikia switched the play to Savona on the right side. He passed to Chetty, who dropped to receive the pass. Chetty played the ball to Mulazzi on the right wing. Savona continued his run into the area, and Mulazzi picked him out at the edge of the area. Savona didn't waste any time. He hit the ball first time with the instep of his right boot, and tucked it just inside the far post to make the score 2-0. Other than that Sacco chance, we didn't create another opportunity to score until the 42nd minute. Marquisano made a great play to set the chance up, first playing a sombrero over Bonetti, then, after receiving the return pass from D'Agostino, he slipped it through to Chofi. Chofi was 1v1 with Dafara, but the keeper made himself big and stopped the shot. Idasiak responded in kind a few minutes later, Bonetti played a long ball for Chetty. Hisai won the header, but he only got a touch on the ball and effectively he flicked it forward to Chetty. Chetty was clear on goal, but Idasiak was quick off his line and made a fantastic save. That was the final chance for either side in the first half, which ended 2-0 in favor of Juventus. The second half was basically more of the same, with Juventus looking dangerous in transition. In the 49th minute, Bangula broke on the counter. He carried the ball towards the Napoli box before passing to Chetty on his right. Costanzo cheated to the middle, which left Chetty wide open in the area. Fortunately, he didn't connect well on his first-time shot, and Idasiak made a relatively easy save. Like in the first half, we had very few legitimate chances to score in the second half. Our best sequence was roughly a 7-minute spell commencing in the 52nd minute. Antonio Vergara had the first chance. Trophy crossed the ball from the right wing. Muharemovic got a touch on the ball, but it fell for Spavone. He laid it off to Vergara, and Vergara put a powerful shot on target, but the Fada made another big save, diving to his right. A minute later, D'Agostino was fouled just outside the area. Trophy went direct for goal, but his shot finished well off target. Then in the 56th minute, Juve conceded possession in their own half, when Bafara overhit his pass, which was intended for Bonetti but went straight to Sacco. He passed to D'Agostino, who crossed to Trophy at the far post. Trophy wanted a penalty after his header hit the back of the arm of substitute Filippo Fiumano, but it wasn't given. I think that was the correct decision. I don't think Fiumano made his body unnaturally bigger. Instead, Napoli were awarded a corner kick, where we had a couple of half chances. First, Hisai won a header at the near post, but wasn't able to hit the target. Spavone kept the ball in play and picked up Barba at the edge of the area. He went for goal, but Bonetti got a piece of the shot, and in the end, it was an easy save for Bafara. Finally, in the 58th minute, Trophy dribbled towards the byline on the left wing before cutting the ball back into the area. Sekularak cleared the ball straight to Giannini, but his shot hit the outside of the goal. I doubt he would have beat Bafara from there, but at least it was positive play. Unfortunately, we lost our momentum when Juve scored their third goal only a few minutes later. Once again, we conceded possession in our own half, and this time Juve took advantage. Sacco was dispossessed by Sekularek just inside our own half. Juve's substitute, Anja Kibozo, immediately broke the other way, ran straight past Barba and beat Dasiak at the near post. That completely took the wind out of our sails. I think the boys knew that at 2-0 down they could still come back, but 3-0 down with half an hour to play was just too big of a mountain to climb. 
Much like the Sampdoria match earlier in the season, the wheels completely fell off after that. Kiboto added a second in the 70th minute. Savona played a long ball to Bangula who beat his side to the ball. He went wide to Mulazzi who played a perfect pass to Kiboto at the second post for the tap-in. Things only got worse from there in the 77th minute Hisai was shown a second yellow after plowing through Bonetti near the touchline. That was clearly a tackle made out of frustration. So we played the final 10 minutes of the match with only 10 men and in the 80th minute Kiboto completed his tripleta. Another substitute, Tommaso Maressa, played a lovely pass with the outside of his right boot to Kiboto towards the left side of the area. Kiboto made a great drop of the shoulder to turn Barba before curling his shot towards the far post. So he scored three goals in just over 20 minutes off the bench. Juve finally stopped pushing after that. They defended and passed the ball around for the final 10 minutes of the match. And this one finished 5-0 for the visitors. So after starting 2022 with two victories, we've now lost four consecutive matches. We're still 12th in the table, but the playoff zone is getting further out of reach while the gap above the play-out zone is narrowing. Now we are 5 points back of Sassuolo, Atalanta, and Milan who are tied in 6th with 30 points. That's because Sassuolo beat Genoa while Atalanta lost to Sampdoria and Milan lost to Roma. So the gap remained 5 points, but now only one position is up for grabs instead of two. Meanwhile, Empoli beat Spal, so we are now only 4 points clear of Hellas Verona who occupy the final playout position. Three of the teams below us play on Monday, so there are numerous possible outcomes. I won't go through all of them, but the best case is for Lecce to beat Hellas Verona. That would protect our 4 point gap above the playout zone. The worst case is that both Hellas Verona and Bologna win. If that happens, Empoli would drop back into the relegation zone, but they'd be only 2 points behind us. That will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll return to the senior team and preview our match against Cagliari. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to part three of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. We'll close the pod with a quick preview of our match on Monday against Cagliari. Cagliari come into this match sitting third from the bottom of the table with 21 points. They're one point behind Venezia who drew Genoa 1-1 on Sunday. That was actually a pretty entertaining match if you get a chance to watch it. Venezia still have a game in hand but for the time being, Cagliari can take themselves out of the relegation zone if they win this match. Don't be fooled by Cagliari's ranking. They come into this match in fine form having lost only one of their previous six matches. They opened 2022 with a 2-1 win over Sampdoria in Genoa, then followed that up with a 2-1 win over Bologna at home. The one loss was against Roma at the Olimpico, then they drew Fiorentina, beat Atalanta which was a remarkable result, and drew Empoli. So Cagliari have collected 11 out of a possible 18 points in 2022, which is more than they collected in the entire first half of the season. Of course, Cagliari are being led by ex-Napoli manager Walter Mazzari. He had a tough first half of the season, 
By the midway point, Cagliari were second from the bottom of the table, they were only two points clear of Salernitana who were at the bottom, and they were six points back of Spezia for safety. In Mazzari's defense though, he did not have the benefit of a summer to prepare the team or to sign players to play in his system. Cagliari started the season with Leonardo Semplici as their manager. After collecting only one point through the first three matches of the season, Semplici was sacked. I don't know what Tommaso Giulini was thinking. If your manager was on such thin ice coming into the season, you should have just replaced him at the end of last season, hired the new manager, and at least given him the summer to prepare. Instead, Cagliari put themselves in this position with the approach that they've taken. Now, Mazzari and Spalletti have a bit of history, which dates back to a match in 2018 between Spalletti's Inter and Mazzari's Torino. Torino won that match 1-0. After the match, the two managers shared a very awkward exchange. Spalletti made a very strange, almost evil-looking smile when he shook Mazzari's hand. After the match, Spalletti said it did not seem like Mazzari wanted to shake hands, and when he did, he was very timid. He added that Mazzari just won. He should be happy. He does not have to be afraid. Now, the two did meet earlier this season. That time, Spalletti shook Mazzari's hand with a very serious look on his face. Perhaps that's because of all the talk about his smile back in 2018. In his pre-match conference, Mazzari said that the two have had their disagreements in the past, but they have been resolved. He added, though, that each manager will want to beat the other. With Napoli competing for the Scudetto and Cagliari fighting for survival, I think that goes without saying. So this will be the latest installment in what has been a growing rivalry over the years, particularly for Cagliari. If you want to learn more about that, check out the latest video posted by Napoli Talk on YouTube. In 10 minutes, Dom provides a really fantastic history of this fixture and why Napoli has become such a hated rival of Cagliari. Now, both teams will be missing their fair share of players for this match. Nahitan Nandez, Kevin Strootman, and ex-Napoli player Marco Rog are all out with knee injuries. Sebastian Balukiewicz is out with a hip injury, and Matteo Lovato has been ruled out with a thigh injury that he sustained against Empoli last round. Charlampos Likoyanis and Leonardo Pavoletti are both nursing muscle injuries, and Razvan Marin is dealing with a gastrointestinal issue, so we'll have to see if any of them get into the squad. Meanwhile, Napoli will be without two holding midfielders and three wingers. Stanislav Lobotka is still recovering from his thigh injury. He's still working out in the gym as opposed to on the pitch, so he will likely miss the Barcelona match as well. Andre Frank Zamboangisa is expected to be out for two to three weeks after the club confirmed that he suffered a low-grade lesion to the adductor longus in his left thigh. Chucky Lozano and Matteo Politano appear to be getting closer to a return. On Sunday, Politano did custom training on the pitch while Lozano did work in the gym and on the pitch. We could recover one of them, if not both of them, for the match against Barcelona. Unfortunately, on Sunday, the club confirmed that Lorenzo Insigne will not take part in the Cagliari match after straining his right thigh in training. Finally, Fabian Ruiz is in the squad despite getting five stitches after that gruesome collision with Gavi on Thursday. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Cagliari will line up in a 3-5-2 with Alessio Cranio in goal. He's a fantastic goalkeeper, so we will need to be accurate to beat him. In fact, I would love to sign Cranio to replace one of our departing goalkeepers. I think we'll see Giorgio Altares start at left center back over the injured Lovato. Eduardo Goldaniga will likely play at right center back, and Adam Ober typically plays in the center of that back three. If Likoyanis is fit, then he is the preferred option at left wing back, and Raul Bellanova is the preferred option at right wing back. 
If Likoyanis is not fit, then we'll probably see Belanova on the left and Davide Zappa on the right. Alberto Grassi, Razvan Marin, and Dalbert are the preferred starters in the center of the midfield. If Marin can't play, then Alessandro Deola would likely start in his place. Finally, we should see Joao Pedro and Gaston Pereiro as the front two. For Napoli, I'm expecting Luciano Spalletti to make a number of changes to the squad that he fielded against Barcelona midweek, but I don't expect him to make any dramatic changes to the formation. I want to comment on that quickly because I see a lot of people online saying that we need to play a 4-3-1-2 or a 3-4-1-2 or a 4-3-2-1 and all kinds of other crazy formations. Now look, I get that people want to see Mertens and Osman play together, but you have to understand that we have been training with the same formation all season. That's why when we had our injury crisis back in December, we still played reasonably well. Yes, we dropped points to Empoli and Spezia, but otherwise we played really well. I can understand if we switch to a 4-3-3 because that's very similar to the 4-2-3-1 and it's a system that we've used a lot in the past, so that's easy to adapt to. I can even understand if we switch to a 3-5-2 because we've seen that formation enough that we know we would have trained with it already. Personally, I don't expect to see a 3-5-2 in this match just because of the injuries we have in our midfield and because we tend to use it more for the benefits you get in defense as opposed to in the attack. Even if you play Mario Rui and Giovanni Di Lorenzo as wingbacks, you still need three midfielders, so it's no different than playing a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, at least as far as the injury situation goes. But a 3-5-2 is far more likely in my opinion than a 4-3-2-1 or any of those other formations that I mentioned. We have not used those formations at all, which means we have not trained with them either. Three days between matches is nowhere near enough time to learn a new system, let alone to play well with them. What I'm expecting is if we have a lead, then Spalletti will switch to the 3-5-2 to close out the match, simply because we don't have enough wingers. So I can see Mertens and Unes playing as that front two, and then we drop everyone else back, or maybe we even play in that 4-4-2. But I think we're going to start the match in the 4-2-3-1 again with David Ospina back in goal. At this point, it seems like Ospina is the Serie A goalkeeper and Alex Meret is the Europa League keeper. Kaladu Koulibaly and Amir Rachmani should start again at centre-back. I think Mario Rui will return to start at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start again at right-back. Sky Sport are suggesting that Juan Jesus will play at left-back so that Mario Rui can play in the midfield. I wouldn't rule out the possibility as we have seen Mario Rui play in the midfield on occasion. Now that's based on the assumption that Fabian Ruiz does not start. I'm not convinced that he won't, so let me give you two lineup predictions. If Fabian starts, then he will play with Diego Demme in the double pivot. Elif Elmas would start over Insigne on the left wing and Adam Unes is the only winger we have left so he would start on the right wing. Piotr Zielinski would start in the number 10 and I think Dries Mertens would play at striker. The latest reports are that Napoli want to rest Victor Osimhen because he has some inflammation in his knee. Now, if Fabian does not start, then I think we'll see Zielinski drop into the double pivot. Before we learned of Insigne's injury, I would have assumed that Elif Elmas would then start in the number 10. However, with Insigne out, Elmas would have to play on the left wing and I think Dries Mertens would drop into the 10. That means one of Victor Osimhen and Andrea Petania would start at striker. Given what I mentioned about the reports on Victor... I think Patania would get the nod. That would also make sense so that we have a fresh Osimhen for the return fixture against Barcelona. Finally, Adam Unas would still start on the right wing. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is we need to play smart. 
Caliari will set up in a low block and they are playing on 7 days rest so we are not going to outrun them. As I've said on a number of occasions, to beat the low block you have to play quick passes, you need lots of movement off the ball, and you need to switch the play in order to stretch the opponent horizontally because you're not going to stretch them vertically. Of course, a team that plays low will also look to catch you on the counter, so we have to be mindful of that for two reasons. The first is that with the low block, Mario Rui and Giovanni Di Lorenzo are going to push forward to join the attack in an attempt to offset the numerical disadvantage. That means at times, Koulibaly and Rachmani will be on their own to defend the counter. Now, that's about as strong as it gets in terms of centre-back pairs in Serie A, but they'll have to fend off a very high-quality player in Joao Pedro. That's the second reason we have to be mindful of the counter. I feel like Caliari's struggles this season have tarnished his reputation somewhat, but he is a lethal goalscorer, so we definitely need to limit his chances. Two more players we need to look out for are Leonardo Pavoletti, assuming he plays, and Gaston Pereiro. That's my second key to the match. Pavoletti didn't play against Fiorentina due to suspension for yellow card accumulation, and then he missed the Atalanta match with a muscle injury. However, he scored three goals in his last four appearances. Meanwhile, with Joao Pedro and Pavoletti both missing matches lately, Mazzari has used Pereiro as a striker. He's normally an attacking midfielder, but he's been successful playing a little bit higher up the pitch. Pereiro has three goals and two assists in his last five matches. His best performance was in that 2-1 win over Atalanta, where he scored both of the goals and he drew the red card on Juan Musso. So, Pavoletti and Pereiro have combined to score six goals and two assists in Cagliari's last six matches. My final key to the match is we need to stay focused for the entire 90 minutes. One of the reasons for Cagliari's recent success is they've played well in the final quarter of the match. Against Sampdoria, they scored the winning goal in the 71st minute. Against Bologna, they equalized in the 71st minute as well, and they scored the winner in the 93rd minute. And then against Empoli, they scored the equalizer in the 84th minute. Mazzari was still disappointed with that result because he felt his team lost focus for about 15 minutes in that match, and that's when Empoli scored their goal. He felt his team could have walked away from that match with all three points. It will be difficult for us to score against that low block, especially if Osiman doesn't play, but if we get that first goal, then the game should open up and the second or third will be easier to score. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-0 Napoli victory and I'll give the goals to Dries Mertens and Ali Felmas. With Cagliari defending for a draw and with David Ospina in goal, I just don't see Cagliari scoring unless they are awarded a penalty kick. I'm recording this on Sunday evening, so we already know the other results from the round. Inter lost to Sassuolo, Milan dropped points to Salernitana, Juventus dropped points to Torino, and Atalanta lost to Fiorentina, so our closest rivals for the Scudetto or for Champions League qualification all dropped points. Naturally, I have two expectations for this match. The first is that we'll have a player sent off in the opening 10 minutes of the match to ensure that Napoli don't win. And the second is that Napoli simply don't show up. That may sound pessimistic, but I'm conditioned by a history of this team failing to show up for important matches. For that reason, I think this match will be the ultimate test of the player's mentality under Luciano Spalletti. Throughout the season, I've talked about how he's improved the club in that area. I think it's great that a lot of players have been talking to the media about competing for the Scudetto. I think that's a strong indication that Spalletti has been preparing this team mentally to compete for the championship. 
I've also been proven wrong regarding the approach the club took to the Inter match. I thought we were putting our season in the hands of others, relying on other clubs to beat Inter instead of trying to beat them ourselves. Sure enough, another club did beat Inter and now we have another chance to go top of the table, but this time against a much weaker opponent. We'll still need Inter to drop more points, but the pressure will be on and there are plenty of games remaining. Before we even talk about that though, we need to take care of business on Monday. So that will do for this preview, I hope you enjoy the match. Before I let you go, this week's Napolitan song of the week is Tommaso Primo's Gioia. I found an article online that describes his music in the following way, it said, His music is a sort of odd ethnic cartoon, a concrete manga, a melody suspended between Vesuvius and Brazil, the rhythms of bossa nova and samba slip between Neapolitan dark alleys and sunny waterfronts. I picked Joya simply because the video features some Napoli merch, but he has many other good songs. Viola is probably his most popular song, and like many of the artists that I featured, he's collaborated with many other Napolitan artists. So be sure to check that out on our Twitter page, that's where you can find most of our content. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back soon to review the Cagliari match and to preview our big return leg against Barcelona. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.